why do people become CEOs? How do they really spend their time? And if you're not one already, how might you become a CEO? My name's Matt Crabtree. I'm the founder of a consulting company called Positive Momentum. And in this series of podcasts, I'm going to be asking CEOs from a range of different organizations tough questions about their past, present, and of course, the future. We'll learn who influenced them most, what they defend in their schedule at all costs, and the big changes they see coming up on their horizon. This is Meet the CEO. My guest today is Charles Dellingpole, founder and CEO of Comply Advantage, a fast-growing fintech that offers AI-driven financial crime risk data and detection technology. Comply Advantage's aim is to neutralize the risk of money laundering, terrorist financing, corruption, and other financial crime. In fact, more than 500 enterprises in 75 countries rely on Comply Advantage to understand the risk of who they're doing business with through the world's only global real-time database of people and companies. The company actively identifies tens of thousands of risk events from millions of structured and unstructured data points every single day. Charles, it all sounds very exhausting. Welcome to Meet the CEO. It's great to be here, Matt. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for being along with us. So I know that Comply Advantage is your third time as a CEO. So let me start by asking you the question I ask all of my guests. Why did you become a CEO? Um... I guess versus some of your other um, guests, um, I have started all three companies and um, therefore, I guess I don't really see it as explicitly being like CEO. It's more just, um, I think for me, it's a function of, I, I think if you're starting a company, it's because you have a thesis about the world that you want to like change, right? In terms of, you, you have a perspective or an opinion about how things should be. And therefore the vehicle for that is a company and um, a joint stock like capital with the capacity to like hire contracts and build a team. So yeah, I mean, it, 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 it it's more a function of um, I had an idea about how things should be and built a company around that. Um, I wasn't a kind of professional CEO that was hired in, um, at later stage to kind of manage a pool of assets. It was more like I built everything from scratch. And therefore, um, even though like I wouldn't necessarily say that the, the primary title I, I, I envision myself as being a CEO, that's kind of like a um, natural byproduct of starting a company. Yeah. I mean, having this being your third time, you've had an enormous amount of lessons learned, I'm sure, but you're certainly uh, entrepreneur first and uh, CEO, I'd say, a pretty close second. Um, let, let's talk about life as a CEO of a fast scaling up business like Comply Advantage. What, what part of your day, Charles, is sacrosanct? What do you preserve at all costs in your busy schedule? Um, I think, um, at least for me, um, part of my philosophy is doing whatever it takes to make sure you, that you can, you can't succeed. Right. So therefore, and I, you know, I, I guess I used to work in like in, in banking M and A and therefore like, um, you know, that's like going to bed at like 4am waking up at six and therefore, yeah, I, I never had like a, any kind of time that sacrosanct or, you know, I, 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 
I think whatever the job requires, right? I think, you know, during lockdown, um, you can do back-to-back back-to-back Zoom calls and you can have calls with like Singapore or the West Coast uh, or, or Australia at whatever time they want, right? And every company will have clients and therefore fundamentally it's about doing what the client wants, right? So yeah, I think, um, is there any time that's sacrosanct? Not really, no. I love it. I mean, it's, lockdown certainly has changed the way that we work, but I think uh, it's uh, an unsurprising answer from a, a driven uh, founding CEO. Um, what about the most challenging event or situation you've found yourself in? What what have you faced over uh, either of your three tours? And particularly, what did you learn from the more challenging experiences you've had as a CEO? Um, I think in my second company, um, that was a lending platform and lending platforms um, are kind of quite fragile. And um, I think one of the challenges we had was a kind of existential threat to the company in terms of we had a decent chunk of our loan book out to one company which went into delinquency and therefore we had X million pounds in loans to hundreds of investors which could have gone south. And I think that would have been a terrible reputational and business risk. And therefore, irrespective of the challenges I face today, when viewed within the context of that event, I'm very relaxed because I think, you know, bad stuff happens and there are risks, but rarely is it going to destroy the entire company. I think, I think you have setbacks, but I think when it's viewed within the context of destroying the entire company and losing hundreds of people, lots of money, then I think it's, um, I think it's less, less concerning. Um, and in terms of how, how I dealt with it and how I learned from it, I think, um, I think in terms of dealing with it as ever calmly, rationally talking to all people, explaining clearly the situation, analyzing it from many perspectives. Um, and I guess the kind of the key takeaway for me from that was, um, subsequently any experience is nothing in terms of the, the, the risk and threats compared to that. So I think, I think I'm slightly more calm and relaxed about even, potentially terrible things because I know that it's not as bad as what we faced in that period. I mean, that, that's, that kind of experience really forms you, doesn't it? And gives you that sense of perspective. Do you find that others around you find as a result, sometimes you react more calmly than they would like to issues? Or do you think that they find it actually quite helpful to have a CEO around them who's got that perspective? I mean, I think what most people like is just to hear that the situation you're in is normal and it's a common problem. And often when you have advisors, um, the value they add is simply saying, yeah, I've seen that 10 times beforehand and this is how it works out and this is what transpires. And I think I think just kind of knowing that it's normal and knowing that many people go through that is often in itself very valuable because it helps to detoxify or normalize that situation and therefore put people at at a certain level of ease, right? So, yeah, I think I, I think seeing it within its proper context and seeing it as a, as a normal thing that can be dealt with, and also seeing the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the night is always darkest in the moment before dawn is like a helpful like psychological and mental framework. 
isn't it just, especially as we uh, hopefully begin to come out of the pandemic as we uh, speak on this uh, interview. Um, those are, uh, I hope, helpful words, not just to your team, but to uh, lots of other teams listening in. Um, Charles, uh, you mentioned advisors and people that you've worked with along the way. Who's most influenced the way you lead in your business today? So I think I think you can read, I mean, I think it comes back to how you learn Um and I think, you know, you, you meet all the books you want and talk to all the people that you want to talk to. But I think ultimately, um, a kind of constructive working relationship is the is the best way to learn. And from people who are more experienced and also interested in the situation that you're, you're from. So I guess, I guess we've had a goodbye advantage on the board, both Boulderton and Index. And so we've had, had the privilege of working with, um, from Boulderton, Tim Bunting, and then from Index, Jan Hammer. And I guess they're kind of known as being some of the best investors in the world and both from an institutional and personal perspective. And so I think just having them on the board and having them care about the company and give feedback and advice, I think has been, has been helpful. I think that's more from a kind of business perspective rather than the kind of personal aesthetic perspective. I think, I think in terms of um, feedback about, how you interact with people, then it has to be people who are kind of in your own team who can give you honest feedback. So yeah, I think, I, I think, um, it's very, it's very challenging to have a purely theoretical relationship with someone who can teach you about like, the, about you and how you can improve unless they're actually engaged in the company. Yeah. Because then they're seeing you right up close every day, aren't they? They've got evidence of your, the way you operate and if you've got that openness to the constructively critical feedback hopefully then that that makes all the difference um but having uh investors on board of the type that you describe is a massive advantage isn't it of the way that an organization like you scales up that you get wisdom uh on the board uh, at a fast growth stage it must prove invaluable yeah i think i think in terms of um investors i think particularly in early stage companies I think really what you want is, is is smart money. People who have a stake in the company, but also um, have been successful, have been through that problem beforehand, um, and will guide the company in the right direction. I think I think um, the best companies are going to have someone that comes on board, puts some of their reputation at stake and the money at stake, and actually gets gets kind of their elbows um, um, and and. and, and, and 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 hands are bold in the company. I think I think the worst kind of situation to have is a company where it's a kind of party round. You have ten investors, none of whom really focus on the company. So I think I, I think like the great thing about a company and building a company is that it's a kind of you're you're working together with great people on a challenging, exciting project that you really believe in to achieve great things. And I think. In terms of all the stakeholders, like the investors, like the team, like the clients, you all want to believe in the project. And I think all, all of those you'll learn huge amounts from. And you obviously want the highest quality feedback from your clients, from your team, from your investors. And so I think just kind of knowing what good looks like from all these different counterparties is going to be critical to building a great company. Because I think fundamentally, not many companies are going to be real winners and only a few companies are going to be those that make real impact on society or the economy right so the question is how you differentiate your company from the rest 
Um, as in, in most venture capital portfolios, only a couple are 10 times fund returners. Similarly, on the stock market, most companies in the stock market haven't generated huge amounts of value for public stakeholders, right? So I think in terms of like the way you live your life, you obviously want to, you know, you probably have at best three companies that you can do it in, 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 in a short lifetime in terms of it, if you start at the age of 20 and then do three companies then, and so you like, you obviously haven't got that many shots of building um, any kind of legacy or any kind of lasting institution. And therefore um, you want to be able to choose everything and make sure that you actually build something meaningful rather than something transient and ephemeral. Well, you're you're on your third and you've got a lot of runway ahead of you, although my goodness, Comply Advantage is uh, growing and growing. So uh, yeah, it's, ama- it's going to be amazing to see where you and the team take it. Talking of the team, um, you've referenced a good team a few times. What, what's the secret, Charles, from your point of view to a really effective executive team? As you've scaled businesses up and brought in leaders to the scaled up businesses what what have you found to be the real keys to building that effective team i think um often people give this analogy of a football team or 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 soccer team or and i I think um i think you can look at precedents in terms of if you look at frank slootman at snowflake i think when he came in he fired the entire team and similarly you know i think if you talk to other companies that have raised venture capital they'll say that they'll have fired the entire team like five times or, you know, and, and I think kind of in terms of being able to select the best people in the team, that's a very challenging problem because there are very slow feedback loops and it's difficult to know which people are good, which are bad. So, so I think in terms of building that team, that's not an easy challenge. And I think to have the, authority and legitimacy in the eyes of people who are talented um yeah i think i think um i mean i've got this book next to me right now which is the top grading book which i think we've discussed right and i think um that basically says that what you want to do is scientifically analyze their performance in terms of i think their cv is um their scorecard and therefore you want to interrogate to what extent each person has been able to deliver tangible value and yeah i think i think um in terms of the manchester united analogy i think one of the great things about man u is that they can win games even when they're not playing their best and that's you know about selecting the players um, a good coach coming in and making sure that they can play 10 times as well. Um, yeah, and I think that kind of challenge is applicable across every institution in society and in government, in in charity, in, in sports. And you know, I, I think that's one of those timeless questions of, you know, why would um, Athens beat Sparta? Why would the Romans beat the Carthaginians? Or, you know, I'd like... I think building and managing a great team, um, whether it's like sport or war or business, like I don't think you're ever going to stop learning that question. And I don't think any secret exists beyond clarity of thought and single-mindedness. 
Clarity of thought and single-mindedness. Now, I should say to our listeners, other football teams are available, um, but uh, uh, Man U being called out is not an unusual uh, metaphor to draw. Um, listen, uh, just a couple of last questions, Charles, if, uh, if you would. Uh, let's talk about the future a little bit. Um, we've lived through a year of extraordinary change. What's the biggest change on your horizon in the months or small number of years ahead? So in terms of the company now, we're kind of approaching 300 people. We've grown revenue materially. So we raised raised 2014, so the company, 2016 Series A, which is 7 million, 30 million in Series B 2018. Um, we raised 50 million nine months ago, 2020. Um, so yeah, I think the company's been growing and therefore I think qualitatively and quantitatively like it's been a huge change i, I think for managing a team of like 10 versus 300 um that's a huge change you know w- we now have um like 30 people in new york and we have a big team in singapore and you know so, so I, I think for me personally um knowing how to do that and knowing also how um, in, in terms of getting the most out of that team and um, being able to see the efficiency in terms of sales and technology, like similarly to you know building a great executive team, I don't think that I'll ever stop learning new things about that. Right. Um, so um, in terms of like change, I think if we're a thousand people or double the revenue, I think, or, or we have other investors, I think that's all a huge change. Um, and it's happening. Like, like the best companies are going to be doubling every year. Um, and you know, I think that is a huge change because fundamentally it's like the skills of managing managers and managers. And uh, I, yeah, I, I think if you're not changing, then probably you as a company lack ambition, right? So, or, 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 or there's failure there, which you have to correct, right? I think that's very true. Although the intensity of the change that you're going through in doubling the business so frequently and in having this many more new people in exploring new geographies, you are building both personal muscle strength, but also the muscle strength um, in your teams. Um, you are fantastic role models to observe as you as you scale up this business. Uh, one last question for you, uh, Charles, if I might. Um, I think a number of people who listen to this podcast listen because maybe, just maybe, they're thinking about becoming a CEO one day. Now, as you said at the beginning, you're a different kind of a CEO. You're a, you're a founder who ended up being a CEO as a consequence of being a founder and wanting to do something and to make a real change in the world. So three quick bits of advice. I don't mind if you want to give advice about, about founding the next world-changing business or just being a CEO. What are your top three pieces of advice for somebody contemplating a future like yours? Um, so I, I think the one constant thing that I've done at the company is, and I think everyone has to do it, is it's, it, it's constantly reiterate the new people or to remind people um, the point of them being at the company. And that's kind of the mission, the vision and the values of the company. And I think just, um, I think just having clarity on those three things. Um, and I think that's something that we discussed in terms of like the values of the company. And um, I think the fundamental, like if you want to be able to attract the best talent and the best clients and the best investors, then you need to be able to state very clearly why the company exists um and 
the, the values of the company um, obviously differ in terms of if you're manufacturing coal, then you have different values in terms of collaboration or teamwork or discipline versus if you're building money laundering data and software like we are. So, um, and then in terms of how you achieve the vision in terms of the mission, as in what you're actually building to achieve that. Um, so, so I think it's getting, getting those foundational pieces correct and on paper and then inculcating them. And then I think there's a point having values in theory, if on a daily basis, you aren't necessarily like using them as examples when you're determining the correct level of behavior. I think, you know, people to an extent say say that the company is a projection of your own personality because, you know, you're hiring people similar to yourself or if you're using the values as a reference framework when making decisions. So, yeah, I think getting that kind of core nucleus um, down um, so it can kind of scale, then I think that's kind of been at least anecdotally valuable when the team have just kind of fed back to me so Charles I think it's great advice it's one of those things that when you are growing so quickly or indeed if you're just facing existential massive change in your business it's easy to forget the why isn't it it's easy to forget what are we trying to do where are we trying to get to and how do we want to operate as an organization and I know uh, both from you and from others, it's something that you emphasize routinely in Comply Advantage with regular town halls and regular um, communication. So um, listen, thank you so much for being part of today's Meet the CEO episode. Um, it was a pleasure listening to you as ever. And uh, on behalf of everybody, we wish you very, very well and continued massive growth with Comply Advantage. Thanks for being part of today's Meet the CEO. Thanks a lot, Matt. Here on Meet the CEO, we try to bring you CEOs from a whole range of backgrounds. And Charles, as a founder CEO, is clearly a technology entrepreneur on a mission to change the world. But what I think is particularly interesting is that he's also learned the value of being really open to advice, of building that great team around him, and of helping his organization to stay true to the fundamental mission. I thought his comments on the need to keep a sense of perspective no matter what were particularly enlightening. And that ability to stay calm and focused when all around you are much less so does seem to be a hallmark of effective leaders really at any level. Thanks so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe and maybe even give us a rating. I look forward to introducing you to another leader on the next edition of Meet the CEO.